Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Yubcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and you thought I smelled bad on the outside. And I'm Matt. My ability to speak does not make me intelligent. <laughs> Got some prequel shit going. Oh, yeah. I've been trying to think of prequel stuff, and I just can't. Other than, like, <laughs> like how much I hate sand. Oh, that was going to be my next one. <laughs> I was going to talk about how beautiful you are, because I'm so in love. In many ways, the Jedi are encouraged to love. <laughs> oh, shit, that's my least favorite movie. Here, let me levitate this pair for you. Yeah, let me be a creepy stalker and uh, sexually harass you at work. All right, so we've been on a little bit of a hiatus. Matt, you just got back from a vacation, and I've just living life uh, as normal, but uh, I got some big news. I finally ordered Battlefront. So it is sitting on my Xbox One, supposedly ready for me to play the second the 17th comes around. The 17th of November? Yeah, so I guess this is uh, the 13th, so that would be... Friday. Friday? Yeah, for 20 bucks more, I could get it tomorrow, but I, and some other stuff, I just didn't see the point because I don't really play multiplayer all that much. And I'd like to spend some time with my family in the next few <laughs> days because, because once that downloads, I'm just going to tell them, just forget I exist. Daddy's busy. I said I'm busy. Don't come in here. Yeah, so I'm super excited about that. And I finished the, the new Luke Skywalker book, which I know you're, uh, I don't know, how far along are you? No spoilers. I uh, I'm, I downloaded it today, and I got about two hours into it, and so I'm in the basically the second story, told from the point of view of like the Imperial, the uh, Battle of Jakku stuff. I don't like conspiracy theories, and so the book opening with a Death Star truther ranting <laughs> about far-flung conspiracy theories and making all sorts of pointed jokes about the special editions and things i was getting pretty annoyed i texted you today saying that i was annoyed at the book but uh it's definitely digging itself out of that hole pretty quickly oh good i mean i knew the guy forget it no spoilers i'm not i'm not done with the book so i'm going to respect the no spoiler thing and not talk about it i'm just saying that i think i talked about my disappointment in from a certain point of view last week or the last episode i don't know i'm still i'm still a little jet lagged from my trip i've only been back for a day and I'm sort of booting everything back up, and I'm like, oh, right, we record on these days. And I asked if you wanted to record, and you said yes. So here we are. <laughs> but I think I st- expressed my disappointment in that book last week, or last time we talked a couple weeks ago. This book is better than that book, but it had a very rough start for me because I have a very low tolerance for um, false flag truthers. I, I agree with you. I, I thought some of it was kind of fun. That little chapter was kind of fun, but uh, it, got, uh, it kind of started to... Uh, rub me the wrong way pretty quickly. I don't think it's not fun or funny because I don't think the authors of the book are truthers themselves or they're making a commentary about about that movement. I think they're very poignantly poking fun of it and the character telling the story is a pathetic wretch who's basically in a bar begging for free drinks and food and um, ends up, the reveal in that story, I won't give away again, but ends up undermining everything about the story themselves. And I don't think that was the purpose. I don't think the purpose was to like give a voice to truthers and conspiracy theories. It was supposed to point out like how stupid they are and how and how easy they are to develop. But it still just bothered me to sit there for, an, for maybe 25 minutes listening to a truther argument regarding the Death Star. This chemtrails above uh, Scarif. <laughs> oh. 
and the vaccinations are just the new republic trying to control your mind. Um, so yeah, so there's some big news that came out that there's going to be a new trilogy um, directed by uh, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, that was very excited to hear this news. It came with the confirmation that we're going to have new Star Wars for the rest of our lives. And Lucasfilm has already announced who they're going to fire during the filming <laughs> of the next trilogy. So do you think this new trilogy will take place in a different timeline? Or will it be something just in the Star Wars universe, just something different? So the only thing that we know for sure is that Ryan Johnson has been hired to direct and slash develop this new trilogy and it won't have anything to do with the Skywalkers because that was also leaked or or presented as part of this. Mm -hmm. um, I hope it's a different time period. I hope they yes. go crazy. Yes, I'm really hoping for like a, an old Republic sort of yes, tale. Yeah, they, you know, they don't even have to bring in the cool characters from the, you know, the EU. That's everything that's pretty much uh, old Republic is the EU except for... Uh, I mean, like Darth Bane and I guess Revan, but you could almost do a reverse prequel where the Jedi triumph over the Sith or just the formation of the Rule of Two. Anything cool, you know, Force-related with Jedi, Sith. I mean, how awesome would it be to see a huge Jedi-Sith war? I think you and I have talked about this in the past years about where the Jedi went wrong in the prequel slash deep prequel era and i'd love to go back to well we don't exactly know the history at this point because that's all been wiped but in the EU, eu history there was a war about a thousand years ago between the jedi and the sith and the jedi basically committed genocide against the sith and you and i have personally talked about that being the moment when the jedi went wrong right when they began to make those mis make the mistakes that led to their downfalls, is their their origins weren't pure. They their existence is due to their own atrocity, their own war crime, and they can never get out from the karmic debt of having wiped out a race and a planet. And actually, in in Clone Wars, they call it Mortaban, right? Not Korriban. Right. Yeah, and on Clone Wars, Mortaban is a barren planet. So. Something yeah, happened and, that made it barren, and in the in the comic books in the extended universe, that was the Jedi that did that. Yeah, and there's also um, Malachor. It was Malachor Five in Knights of the Old Republic Two, but they just called it Malachor in Rebels, and that's where the uh, Twilight of the Apprentice episodes took place, which is a a planet where there's just bodies everywhere, bodies um, and lightsabers, some... and a burnt out city. Right, so that could be pretty. That could be pretty interesting. Because, you know, Star Wars is, I think it's really good when it plays in the, the good and the evil side. You know, like one-offs like Rogue One. I love Rogue One. But you can't just ha constantly have Rogue One-type movies. The thing that really makes it Star Wars is the, the good versus evil, the light side versus the dark. There's a lot of meat there for them to pick at, I think, still. And I'm looking forward to learning a lot more, meaning anything else, about this new trilogy. It's incredible to me when you just start adding them up at this point, though, because we are aware of, I guess, a new trilogy, which is three movies. The Last Jedi, Han Solo, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Episode Nine. So we're aware of seven Star Wars movies to come at this point. Would it be cool, you think, if it was if it was set back in time, or like Yoda could be in it? He's been, he's like 900 years old. He could, um, he could be a Padawan. I would love that. Well, it would depend, but I Yoda's my favorite character, and like even in the EU, his origins are remained relatively scarce. I mean, could you imagine him as a Padawan, and his instructors are like, "What, what the hell are you saying?" 
<laughs> did you ever hear? Did you ever read any of the stories in the EU about Yoda as a Padawan? No. Yeah, his man. I'm gonna fuck this up, but his his master was like a four armed snake. Has a ridiculous name. It's on my list of custom action figures to make. His name is Encada del Gormo, and he <laughs> That's is a great song. Yeah, and he's a Hyserian male. His height is much taller than 0.66 meters. I mean, the guy looks huge. It's actually a really cool character design. I'm going to drop the link into Skype so you can look at look at the picture. Just because I, I, I love this character. And not that I'm saying that this story should be canon. But uh, I, I give Star Wars in general a lot of credit for character design. When the other sci-fi franchise um, just puts some shit on your forehead and calls you an alien. Right. Um, this these aliens are actually like biologically unique looking, but uh, mm-hmm. he only appears in a couple of stories. And Yoda apparently was trained outside of the Jedi tradition for a while before he joined the Jedi. But but anyway, I would love 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 anything about Yoda as long as they don't ruin him. Like that's the danger, right? If you if you get too much information, it becomes less interesting. Like, we had that conversation about Wolverine, and actually since then. I've decided I should watch all the Wolverine movies, and I agree that I don't like overall, overall the path that they went with Wolverine, but whatever. It's content is content, and I'm all in on the Star Wars content. Turns out Yoda was, you know, dropped on his head as a baby. That's why he talks so weird. Do we ever hear Yaddle talk? I don't believe you do. Because if she had the same... I don't think we do either. More fucking prequel talk, but... um. We don't know if she has the same speech pattern then. And I don't I don't read any of the prequel extended universe crap. And so I don't know if she has like her own comic book series where she talks like Yoda. But Yoda and Yaddle are the, are the only members of their species that we've ever met. It would be great to see more. In the Valley of the Jedi, there was a statue of another Yoda species, Jedi, etched in the wall. So... In the first Knights of the Old Republic, there is a Jedi Master of the same species. I think his name is Vandor. Well, it doesn't no. make any sense. It doesn't start with Y. <laughs> no, I I was wrong about that. Um, it's I think it starts with a V. So on Wikipedia, we're not going to turn this into a Wikipedia reading podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> Matt reads Wikipedia. There is a Yoda species called Vandar. Tokar, and he That's... is in that video game. Yeah. And I he, I recognize him from watching cutscenes. I don't play video games as much as I watch cutscenes from video games because I am wildly pathetic. I remember he had a great line in the game. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was near the end of the game, and he's basically saying, we're all fucked. <laughs> but I think he talked a little bit like Yoda, since all of that is kind of out the window who knows? I don't know. I'm, I'm reading some quotes of him on Wikipedia to myself, because that's bad radio. And it doesn't appear that he has Yoda's syntax. We're not just their teachers, we're their protectors. It would do all the Jedi High Council members good to get out. More on Coruscant. The eye sees but cannot see itself. Anyone can be the eye. But the key to Jedi training is to be able to see oneself. Jesus, it's like a Confucius say. <laughs> Man who stand on toilet is high on pot. <laughs> it's an oldie but a goodie. Yeah, yeah. So Vandar Tokar. I would anyway. Back to the subject. I would love to see something about Yoda. And if they're really going to free themselves from the traditional saga uh, trilogy setup, 
uh, I would be, I'm 100% for that. I think there's so much to talk about, so much to do, so much to explore. Like I, I've said before, I would I would follow a garbage collector around on Coruscant in this universe. You know, I, I would play I would play that video game. I would read that comic book. I want the Slatious Crumb series comic book. There was a slight comic book reveal this week, too. Um, we, we got to see the cover of Thrawn number one, but it's not, not a whole lot to talk about. It, it looks to be the beginning of the Thrawn book where he's trapped on that planet. Uh, at the beginning of the um, the, th- uh, the first Thrawn book. Yeah, the first Thrawn novel. That's something. Um, but the other big news this week was that the live-action Star Wars TV show apparently is in production. Oh man, I don't know how I feel about that. There's two things to feel about it. It's either going to be the best thing or the worst thing ever. I know we've talked about this offline, I mean off the podcast, but I actually like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, the Marvel show. It gets trying because it's pretty formulaic for TV and that format gets old, but I don't mind the show. No, I, I don't mind it either, but it grinds my gears in a lot of ways. Just I can't stand some of the characters and it, it, it follows a very standard TV kind of tropes. And I, I, I rack my head trying to think of like, why are they doing this? But at the same time, it's just like, well, you know, why do half the time Jedi seem to forget that they can use the Force? But, uh, I mean, I don't know, it could be good. I mean, like, there's, you know, Game of Thrones is pretty good, and um, I haven't seen the new Star Trek yet. I haven't either. Just trying to think of, like, like what, like, good, like, like sci-fi shows, sci-fi fantasy shows are out there that are, like, really good and that don't just succumb to the fluff. We're sort of in the renaissance of TV right now. We have some amazing television happening um, because of the weird format television is being produced in. Like, what if they made... Uh, Netflix exclusive 13 episode arc of um, like Star Wars Underworld like they threatened to do forever ago. I don't know if we've ever discussed Star Wars Underworld on the podcast because I can't remember. I don't think we have but it was a live TV show that Lucas was developing and had written 150 scripts for and it was going to focus on bounty hunters, the Hut clans, and the um, spice smuggling on the planet and be like a crime film noir sort of cop procedural from the point of view of the criminals. Hmm. I'm going to be like, "Eh, I don't know, but we all know that I'll be watching it and buying all the seasons if it's not on one of the services I subscribe to. Yeah, we're not going to not watch it and we'll probably complain about it on the podcast at some point, but actually sort of like that idea the the bounty hunter i've always called that the third rail of the star wars universe because earlier you were saying like oh they're they're doing the best when they're good versus evil but there's this like gray area in their universe where everyone's sort of a criminal because of how desperate everybody is and how that vacuum of power created by the struggle because you know in a when in the middle of a rebellion middle of a civil war there's going to be a power vacuum and the empire and the rebellion don't really get into hut space and reach the outer rim that well and so there's all sorts of opportunities for crime to prop up there i think you could easily make a drama that focuses on what is approximately the most common profession in the star wars universe which is hunting bounty <laughs> yeah i mean there seems to be constantly Bounty hunters, you know, more more than farmers, bartenders, construction workers, janitors. Yeah, stormtroopers and bounty hunters are what you get to be. And then people who serve stormtroopers and bounty hunters drinks are next. The last bit of news we got this week, which we don't have to spend a lot of time on, is a serious rumor that Disney 
is in negotiations to buy Fox, except not Fox Sports or Fox News. They want to buy everything else, and so Fox News and Fox Sports would be a peel-off company, and Disney would own everything else. Like most things, this has a Star Wars implication in that the original contract Lucas signed with Fox back in the 70s gave exclusive rights to Episode Four to Fox forever. So in 19... 19- In 1976, when Lucas signed the contract with Fox um, Studios to produce A New Hope, the contract stipulated that Fox would keep the rights to that movie in perpetuity. Currently, Fox owns 456, and Disney owns 123, I think. And in two years, 5 and 6, Empire and Jedi transition to Disney's ownership, and then Fox will only own episode four. And so one stupid implication of that is no more box sets, because they won't package them together anymore. And the other implication is, is supposedly the original cut cannot be released because it's owned by Fox. Oh, that would be awesome. And so the Star Wars implication of Disney buying this is that Disney would own the rights to all um, 6-12-15 movies, however you want to count them at this point. Jesus, there's really going to be fucking 15 movies. Yeah, we're not going to, we're probably not going to live long enough to experience all Star Wars. That's sort of incredible at this point. Disney's going to own all 15 movies if they buy Fox and all versions of those movies. And so we might get, keep the pressure on. I mean, they'll do it because it's free money, you know. Mm-hmm. We will get the original theatrical cut of the movie, the specialized edition, as it is called on the internet. Ah, jeez. So Not a I ton am... of Jawas. And, <laughs> and a huge uh, Snice Noodles number and the original Sarlacc. Yeah, the Snice Noodles number is my big pet peeve. I can, I can swallow almost everything else except for Jedi Rocks. Instead of Lopty Neck. Right. And it's sad. It's a sad, sad man who really wants Lopty Neck to come back. But I guess that's where I'm at in life. <laughs> right. No, I, I hear you. I want uh, I want to experience uh, Star Wars the way I remembered it. I mean, granted, I like the scenes of... Uh, I liked seeing X-Wings in outer space, you know, in computer graphics. But not at the expense of really crappy music videos and... Jawas fighting Ronto. I think it's I think it's a Ronto. It is a Ronto. And I wouldn't even mind seeing just the, that little that little cellophane border around the Tie Fighters as as they're flying in space. I actually never ever mind minded that. The thing the the effect that always bothered me on the old versions was the uh, there's like a black smudge where they tried to correct a like a makeup smear on the Emperor's hood and. It's in the old versions, and you can see it like moving back and forth when he's moving his head because they did such a bad job painting the cells. Um, and that got cleaned up in a in a later edition. That's that's a that's a defect that I wouldn't mind them putting back in. Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. If only there was a way for me to find it. I'm sure you can find it. <laughs> All right. Do you want to discuss uh, droids episode six? Do we have to? You made me so. Yes. Today we're discussing episode 6 of Droids. We're the second episode into the second arc following Manjula. Manjula, why did you bring the octopus to work? The purple alien back to his home planet. The show opens up in space in an odd-looking spacecraft. There's a lot of turbulence happening. C-3PO is complaining to R2 about all the rocking and giving the exposition of 
why the episode is taking place. They're headed back to Manjula's planet to overthrow a dictator. So once again, I want to bring up the point I brought up last week. We're not sure Manjula is not the Hitler of his planet, but we're going to help him anyway. <laughs> He's got those huge sideburns and that awesome scepter. Yeah, he dresses in a very full gown, too. It's an interesting wardrobe. So we cut to the cockpit, and John Tosh, our hero, and someone in a spacesuit are flying the ship quite poorly. The helmet is removed to reveal Jessica Mead, the woman who saved our heroes in the previous episode in the fight in Dex's diner with the stunner. Oh, yeah, it's Grace Jones. Yeah, Grace Jones, exactly. It's a great character design. I love, I love this character. She's awesome. John is pretty surprised... And she informs him that her name is Jess. Jess or Jessica. I'll call her either thing in the summary. C-3PO and R2-D2 come into the cockpit to show Jan a hologram of Uncle Gundy. And Uncle Gundy gives him some advice. If you don't take care of yourself, no one is going to take care of you. Or no one's going to do it for you. Which is a pretty horrible metaphor, but or pretty horrible (laughs) moral to present in the beginning. But whatever. Uncle Gundy is pretty much an old-timey prospector. That's true. He's got some libertarian ideals. They're talking about, like, defunding the public schools. It's obvious uh, Gundy didn't go to school. (laughs) The purple aliens come into the cockpit at this point, so everyone's in the cockpit, and ask, are we there yet? That's a quote. They have more exposition about the plot, about how they have to get back to the planet to depose this dictator, and so Manjula can set up some monarchy. And for some reason, Manjula tells John that it's okay to turn around even though that would mean that his planet would be under some dictator, and presumably that would be bad for his people, but gives him an, an out for no reason. And when things are said in a plot, they should have a point, but it's never, it's completely a throwaway line. Now we switch to point of view to the bad guys. The evil Vizier is talking with IG-88 about a scepter, which is revealed to be pretty important for whatever lit- liturgy they're going to perform um, to establish the leader of the world, because apparently this stick determines who gets to rule. IG-88 tells the vizier, who is named Ko Zatak Cha, that Manjulpa is bringing the scepter to the planet, and they will take it from him once he arrives. And the scepter is the same scepter that was given back to him when he was the zombie guy in the previous episode that Deus Ex Machina their way out of the trouble they were in in that episode with the bulldozers. Back to our heroes, who are suddenly under attack by pirates or Corsairs, as Manjula describes them, because Manjulpa, sorry, describes them because he has to use a $10 word. Yeah, because he's uh, he's royalty. Well, apparently when he got his words back, he got all the words back. <laughs> he's got the best words. Yeah. <laughs> so the pirate attacking them is Kaibo Ren. And Who's that? <laughs> what's that? <laughs> say, say that again? Kaibo Ren is a punk bitch. Yeah, Kaibo Ren. So Kaibo Ren is in a ship that looks much more like a Star Wars ship. It's got like a pointed end and some blasters on it. But the ships run into each other and sort of bounce apart in this collision. Kylo Ren decides to destroy the ship, um, but the heroes escape in a shuttlecraft of sorts. Since IG-88's plan involves them surviving, IG-88 actually starts firing on Kaibo to scare him off. He needs Manjupa to deliver the scepter on the planet. Yeah, now, they didn't actually run into each other. She, Jess had some sort of, like, battering ram on her spaceship. Oh, she did? Yeah. I misinterpreted that. I should probably be watching these episodes a little bit closer. That was her maneuver. God damn it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which I, I thought bizarre, and she ends up getting hurt because of it. Sorry not to jump ahead, but... That's actually one of the parts I like about this episode, that there was a consequence to an action. So, 
um, the shuttle enters the planet's atmosphere because they this attack happens right outside of the planet, and they are immediately picked up by an escort of Kaizatak Chan's men. C-3PO, in a rare moment of competence, lies their way to get clearance to land using his one of his six million forms of communication. It's actually a pretty competent and wonderful moment for C-3PO. Later, they're in a hangar with an old version of a B-wing and an A-wing. It's revealed that Jessica was hurt in the attack and has broken ribs, and so they take her to a medical unit while Manjopa hides in a hotel with C-3PO and R2-D2. I had to say something. She's in a spacesuit and she's been flying in there, and she's the only one that gets hurt. She looks like she's pretty much wearing, like, armor, while everybody else is just kind of jumping up and down, yet somehow she's the one who gets hurt. Yeah, they're... Co- they kept calling her like Ironsides or something, right? Yeah. And she was wearing, it looked like armor, and John is wearing like a torn t shirt. <laughs> he didn't injure himself. Mm-hmm. But maybe she's got one of those seatbelt injuries people get in car accidents where it breaks their sternum and cracks their ribs because it just stopped them too abruptly. I'm sure that's what it was and not over- oversight on the part of the writers or just poor writing. Yeah, I think I think the seatbelt broke her sternum. <laughs> I think the writing is pretty airtight. Yeah. So later in the hangar, they're in a. They're in a hangar with an old version of B-Wing and A-Wing. She gets hurt. Inside the hotel, Manjubla is explaining how the leaders on their planet are picked. person holding a stick on a solstice at dawn becomes the king of their planet. Seems like a pretty decent way to pick a leader. Yeah, it seemed really bizarre to um, come at that particular time because it's not like the guy was going to be that vizier, uh, the guy who's the um, the pretender to the throne could really become king or the ruler at all. Yeah. All he had to do was just stay away and then just wait till the next the next time and just, just show up or maybe just fly directly there and then just go, hey, I'm here. Here's the staff. I'm king. What I'm wondering is why aren't there 400 people on top of that altar fighting for the scepter? Right. Because apparently whoever's holding the scepter becomes leader of the planet. You know, he's the, they say he's, he's the rightful ruler, but it really doesn't seem to, the, the line to succession really just seems to be whoever holds the scepter and puts it in the hole. Right. And once so, again, we don't know if he's Hitler or not. Well, now Hitler wasn't a king. <laughs> So I'm a little rusty on my world history. So so they're talking in the hotel, and they hear a spy outside by the worst spy on the planet in the in existence. He's making so much noise. They open up the curtains and see this guy spying on them. And so they, they pursue him, and while they're pursuing them, IG-88 steals the scepter and enslaves Momjopa with the scepter's mysterious powers. Yeah, Jen pretty much drops the ball Yeah, on this. Like, here, just hide here in this hostile city with, you know, everybody looking for you while I run out in the city I don't even know and try to find this person. Yeah. Or I could stay and protect you from IG-8 who just appears out of nowhere. IG-88 is one of my favorite designed characters, but we'll talk about him later a little bit. So now Monjulpa is ca- captured and the scepter is in the hands of IG-88. We're going to track the scepter pretty closely in this episode. Uh, now we join Jess in the medical unit. More spilled soup when C-3PO spills soup on a medical droid. Looks like a 2-1-B droid. Um, lots of slapstick, but C-3PO realizes throughout his slipping and falling that Jess may have been captured by the guards of Koza Takchan because she's not at the hospital. Mm-hmm. John is sneaking around and captured by some guards also, but C-3PO and R2-D2 show up and accidentally free him from capture through a highly slapstick mechanism. Oh, there's so much slapstick in this episode. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to get through. So now, to summarize, everyone has been captured except R2-D2, C-3PO, and John. IG-88 delivers a scepter to Kozatakcha, and he is waiting for the sun to coronate him king. Manjula is made to kneel in front of Kozatakcha by the scepter, and the henchmen show up 
and tell them that John and the others have escaped. And Kozaktok John apparently throws them across the room using the scepter's powers. So maybe the scepters have like force powers. Mm-hmm. Kozaktok John puts Monjula in a pit with a beast called a Durki, and it cuts away before we see what the Durki is. Because now we rejoin John C3PO and R2D2 um, as they're working their way through the bowels of the palace. First, they find themselves in a it's like a video game, right? They find themselves in a pit filled with gigantic droids that fire lasers out of their eyes. They eventually cornered are cornered on a bridge over a river of lava, and they trick the droid into falling in falling into the lava, thereby beating that level's boss. Mm-hmm. So we return to Monjulpa in the pit, and a big purple dinosaur comes out to eat him. At least that's what we're led to believe. And then we go back to John, C-3PO, and R2, and they are now trapped in a room with moving walls. The room is collapsing, basically, and through, I'm not exactly sure how, smashing on the floor, they somehow escape. Yeah, through a hole that just all of a sudden is there. Right. That that they could have used at any time during the uh, their, their troubles in the room that was trying to smash them. See, the video game map hadn't populated that far yet, and so they couldn't, uh, they couldn't see the door. I gotcha. Yeah, that was the problem. <laughs> Such a, such a bad sequence. And then you find out that as they escape the collapsing room, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Jan end up with Monjupla in the pit with the Durki, and things look bad. Cut to commercial. Come back. Kozatak-chan decides to not watch their deaths and does the parody Bond villain Dr. Evil thing where he assumes that they're going to die, says it out loud that he assumes they're going to die, and walks away. Wait, aren't you even going to watch them? They could get away. No, no, no. I'm going to leave them alone and not actually witness them dying. I'm just going to assume it all went to plan. What? And he takes uh, Jess with him. Like, this whole episode, you know, he could have solved all his problems by not hanging out and, like, talking to Jess. Yeah, Jess is... They use Jess strangely as the stand-in for the audience a lot in this episode, where things are explained to her so we know what's going on. I don't entirely understand what the point is to having her in her various cages, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, very kind of very heavy-handed. He doesn't want to watch their deaths. Instead, he heads off to the coronation and takes Jess with him. C-3PO somehow ends up on the Durki, and RTD2 starts washing the beast. The Durki immediately calms down, because it turns out that he was covered in parasites called cliques. Now he's friendly, because the cliques are off. Um, I love this idea. I don't love the execution in the episode. Uh, the idea is cute and funny that, like, uh, like pulling the thorn out of the lion's paw, Oh, yeah. Or the the crocodile tooth. Yeah, the crocodile tooth. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's not paid off in any way, once again. Like, it would have made more sense if, like, the dragon then attacked at the end of the episode or something. Yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen, but guess yeah. not. So now that they're not going to be eaten by the Durki, the heroes calmly walk off the screen. Um, not in a hurry at all. The heroes show up to disrupt the coronation of the vizier, I guess. And everyone jumps into a small ship and flies off. The scepter is dropped by Ko, and Jess recovers it. Then it is stolen by someone on Ko's team and drops it again, and Jess and recovers it. It's more the, the slapstick. Just just keeps on. People keep on dropping it. Yeah, and picking it up, dropping it, picking it up. Yeah, I actually wrote down every ridiculous. single drop. Oh my god! So C-3PO picks up one of these little rigs <laughs> and starts to fly, and then Jan tosses the scepter to Jolpa, but Ko Zaytek Chan catches it instead of Jolpa. Interception. It is dropped again and recovered by one of Kozatak Chan's agents. Ko recovers it again, more slapstick, then Ko's agent gets it, then Ko, then Jess knocks it free, then Jolpa. Jolpa sticks the scepter in the altar, and then becomes king. The scepter changes hands nine, nine times in a minute and 30 seconds. Nine times. Nine times.
It is ridiculous. Everybody, every character touches the scepter. And it is revealed that the reason why the henchman didn't grab the scepter back from Jolpa is that it was C-3PO in disguise somehow. Right. You know, for a second there, I actually thought the henchman was just going to run up and, do, and put the uh, scepter in. Wouldn't you? Yes. <laughs> totally. Um, Mon Jolpa is king, and we're hoping he's not going to build the third Reich on the planet. Um, we have no guarantee he's not. And he tells Kozatok Chan to be taken away to prison. And all the Fairweather fans are switching sides now they now that the sun has determined that he should be king. So as he's being led to prison, Kozatok Chan says that he has spies everywhere and he will use them to undermine the new regime. And then C-3PO falls over. Hilarious. <laughs> Jan is knighted by the new king, and Jess gets a new ship and an escort. C-3PO and R2-D2 get polished and get medals for their role in this new government formation. And then there's a tack on ending where two people are arrested for stealing, and C-3PO throws out the lesson that appearances can be deceiving. Although, and we're going to do this a lot in the Clone Wars, that's the moral of the story, but does that have anything to do with the story? No, not Uh, whatsoever. Not really. I mean, there's two different instances of people in disguises in this episode, but that's not really what what that means. So that's where the episode ends. This is usually where I ask you if you liked the episode. I know I had said before that I was actually looking forward to this one, which surprised me. The the droids, God is a cruel mistress. I did not care for this one. I thought it was pretty lame. Just the constant slapstick and just... The constant original Star Wars movie references pretty much everywhere. Well, let's talk about those for a second, because I made a list of every one that I could find. And there's a there's sort of a, a second tier of references, I think, that's in this episode. So the first one I wrote down was revealing Jessica Mead by removing the helmet is a reference to Boosh taking off their helmet to reveal Leia in Return of the Jedi. Okay, I didn't think of that, but yeah, all right, I can buy that. And then the second one I wrote down was the hologram message of Uncle Gundy um, is a reference to the hologram message of Leia because it skips. And C-3PO says that that was a message meant for uh, a private message meant for Jen. Mm-hmm. And that's almost a direct quote. Um, when they show up on the planet and the escort ships fly up to the to Jessica's ship, that is the same cinematography and camera angles as the cloud cars in Cloud City flying up next to the Millennium Falcon. Right, they were even a little awkward. They they weren't double like the cloud cars, but they're more of um kind of a weird shape. Yeah, I think the design was definitely influenced by the existence of the cloud car, but you're right, it does it it's its own design. Yeah. And then the obvious one is the collapsing room is the refer- is a reference to the trash compactor mm-hmm. scene in A New Hope. Well, and also um Jan manning the the turret when the pirates attack. Yep, yep. Uh, I, I didn't write that one down, but I 100% agree. Yep, yep, he does yep. a shitty job. But, uh, <laughs> he fires once and he's like, I don't think I hit them. Uh, there was the, the the vehicles that everybody gets in. Look like they're made by the same company who made Java's sail barge. Yep. So that was the other deep cut reference. I don't know how well you remember the toys from the 80s, but there was a toy line called Mini Rigs, which were shrunk down versions of Star Wars ships that sat one figure. And all of those ships that they fly around in are cartoon depictions of the mini rigs. So would those be like the uh, those Lego little mini kits that they have? Sort where of. a figure sits in like a small like X-Wing? Yes. 
Um, yeah, so I got a couple of those for the boys because they're just cheap and they're easy little gifts. But yeah, they're basically ships that are designed to look like the bigger ships, but only seat one character. And so there's like a little TIE fighter. There was a little sail barge. There was a little X-wing. There was a little tank. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see. Oh, my God. I'm having flashbacks now. I pulled it up on pulled it up on Google. Holy cow. I forgot about this stuff. And so all of those little ships in this episode are graphical representations or cartoon representations of those toys. Oh, man, I, I gotta have one. <laughs> they're not that expensive on eBay. I mean, it obviously <laughs> depends on the quality and which one you want, but they're 20 bucks on eBay or less. I don't have any personally, but I, I've looked at them, and when I saw the, the Jabba Sail Barge one, or the Skiff one, I guess, the Skiff mini rig in this episode, I looked up the others, and yep, they're all mini rigs. Oh, yeah, the... Yeah, it's called one's called the Sand Skimmer, uh, which is the one that has the sail on it, like the sail barge, and then the Imperial Sniper, which has like a wing on top and a seat at the bottom. Yep, that's the one C-3PO's in. It's sort of a deep cut, but it's it's fun to find stuff like that, or I find it fun. Yeah. Did you um, also notice that they got medals yes. at the end? Yeah, I put that in the summary that they got polished and they got medals. The canon has cleared up why Chewie did not get his medal, or that he did get his medal, and he, it just wasn't presented in the to him at the ceremony. I'm not familiar with this. You read the Chewbacca comic, right? Right. I don't remember too much about it. I, I read it in one sitting and then had to give it back to the library. Yeah, it's a 40-page book where Chewbacca's not subtitled, so joke's on us, right? Yeah. Uh, but at the end, he gives the little girl trouble... His, his medal from the Yavin ceremony. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. Spoiler alert for a Chewbacca comic that came out two years ago. God dang it. Which has no impact on canon at all, except for the existence of Chewie's medal. So this episode heavily references um, a lot of Star Wars material, which is good and bad. It's like they're pounding it over your head. You're watching Star Wars. You're watching Star Wars. You're watching Star Wars. But I think the reason why this episode doesn't work for me, ultimately, isn't the copious references. It's just how much they crammed in, and none of it seems to be connected. It's like, you're going to fight this gigantic droid. Okay, you beat the gigantic droid. Now you're going to try to escape from this room. Okay, you escape from the room. Now you're going to fight Barney's evil, evil cousin. And... Well, you didn't have to fight him because he was just covered in bugs and that was pissing him off. Now you're done with that. Now you're going to have to go steal the scepter and steal the scepter and steal the scepter and steal the scepter and steal the scepter. And, and now he's king. Um, start building prisons. Because we're yeah. going to round everybody up now. I mean, the ones that we've seen so far, I don't think it's the worst, but it's definitely not the best. Though I would be hard-pressed to decide which one's the best. So there's a couple other things. Um... IG-88. Obviously, IG-88 is introduced to the Star Wars universe in that wonderful bounty hunter scene in Empire Strikes Back. I've always loved his character design, and I love the idea of like a sentient murder robot that rents himself out as a bounty hunter to go kill things. And he shows up a lot in the comics now, and what they've done, what the EU did to IG-88 is one of the reasons why I'm 100% okay with the EU getting deleted. But uh, I love that he's in this episode. And I love that his ship is a modified TIE um, fighter designated IG-1000 that he designed himself. I like those little details and I like that they're pulling in more and more characters from the movies to show us the connections there. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about Kaibo Ren real quick. His full name is Gear Kaibo Ren Cha. And it's not a coincidence that Kaibo Ren and Kylo Ren are the same with one letter different. Okay. It's the idea that... It's just this 
pervasive idea that there's just a notebook of names that they'll, they'll pull from all the time, and that Bespin was originally the name for Hoth, and these names just get pushed around in the Star Wars universe until something gets put on film, and then it becomes part of the canon, but there's just a huge pit of these names that they have. I guess they assumed that nobody would watch these cartoons, and so nobody would know about Kaibo Ren, and no one would draw the connection, but Kaibo Ren has a horrible character design. Um, the name is vaguely Asian, and he looks like a stereotypically drawn Fu Manchu-like Mongolian slash Chinese gangster, over super fat gangster. Yeah, it's problematic. Yeah, it's definitely not uh, the pinnacle of uh, Star Wars, though. There are a lot of racist caricatures in Star Wars, so it actually technically probably is, you know, very Star Wars. It could be emblematic of some sort of cultural tone deafness of Lucas. But like I said earlier, we have to watch all of Clone Wars, where the way they differentiate cultures is by giving them stereotypical accents. Um, So there's two other things that I wanted to point out, that the prototype of the B-Wing and the A-Wing are in the hangar with them. And these have both been retconned to not be B-Wings and A-Wings, but to be the predecessors to both ships. And I I just like the fact that they're there. And they're, they're sort of caring about continuity a little bit, at least retrospectively caring about continuity. But I like that there are versions of these ships in that hangar because it makes it feel, once again, a little Star Warsy to have those ships in there. And I don't mind visual references like that. I think I po- pointed out a B-Wing in another episode previously as it flew across the screen in a weird way. And so I just expect me to point all that shit out from now on. When I see something that I recognize in the background, I'm going to point it out. So that was those were my notes for the episode. Do you have anything that you wanted to talk about? No, I I'm just uh, wondering why I let you talk me into watching all of these because it's they're not easy to get through and it's not something that they they don't they don't stand the test of time. I should say we can look back on a lot of things with you know rose colored glasses. This is not one of those things that that you can just watch and be like, well, I enjoyed it so much as a kid, I'm willing to pretty much let go of all the faults. I I really can't on this. This, this, These are pretty horrible, but I'm doing a public service, and it's my duty. Yeah, I I hope one of the goals is that we not grow to like them, but grow to appreciate like the totality of of the Star Wars literature out there. Um, I agree that these are bad. TV shows, bad episodes, and difficult to watch. But I don't agree. I don't agree that there's no value in watching them. And I had a hard time watching this particular one just because, like, every time I thought about counting the number of times C3PO fell down, and then I realized I could count how many times the scepter changed hands, and that would actually be part of the plot. And so I decided to do that. But I'm having a lot of fun finding like the mini rig thing makes me yeah. happy. I mean, that's that's a reason enough to watch the episode to me. But okay. But yeah, as a production, it's garbage. It doesn't hold up. As a piece of Star Wars literature, it's like really gross. It's really filthy. And Mm -hmm. that's not like we shouldn't be proud of that as a piece of art or try to fold it into our understanding or appreciation of Star Wars. Right. I mean, there's people who are who are fans of the holiday special or fans of the Ewok movies and think, Return of the Jedi is a bad movie. Um, That's not my personal relationship with Star Wars fandom, but I can watch the holiday special, I can watch the Ewok movies, and I can watch The New King um, and see it it for its faults and for its pluses and minuses. 
I guess this the thing I, I, I that I'm getting out of it, the rough drafts for things to come. You know, just a, um like Kaibo Ren. Right. For one thing. Or Dexter Jester's Diner. That's a perfect example of it. That is just pretty much lifted straight out of, you know, that episode and slapped into episode two. Yeah. yeah you know, some of the some of the droid designs look a lot like battle droids. Yeah, there's a, there are several droid designs that do look like battle droids. Not to get off topic again, but do you know what the battle droids are supposed to look like? Um, no. They're supposed to look like Geonosians. Uh... Robotic. They're designed by the Geonosians to basically look like them. And once once I heard that in a piece of canon literature, can, in a canon short story, I was like, oh, sure, I can see it. That they could they they designed it to be like a subspecies of them. I'd have to see it side by side. I don't really see it, but that doesn't mean it's not true. All right, so I think we're done discussing the episode. And I didn't mean to sound like I was chastising you for saying that you hated this project so far. I didn't mean to say that I, I hated it. It's just that it's... I'm just so looking forward to the good stuff that, you know, sitting through these is kind of hard. And like when there's plenty of other Clone Wars, Rebels, Simpsons, or Archer episodes that I could watch for the millionth time. True. Uh, we only have eight more droid episodes to go, so we'll be done with the droids um, mm-hmm. TV show soon enough. Um, but I think this week we're going to introduce a new segment to the end of the show where we rate. Yeah, so we've been talking about, like, what's a good rating system? Because we don't want to just be like, okay, this is the episode, and that's it. So we decided to rate it on a good or bad scale uh, based on a Star Wars character. So, good being a Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader. Bad being a worthless throwaway character that just had no, served no purpose or was just so pathetic that nobody cares. So, I will ask you, Matt, how would you rate this episode? So, I have to pick a character whose impact on the series of movies matches the impact of this episode. I'll give it a Captain Tarples. And why is that? Captain Tarples is a gun-gun military officer who uh, is a subordinate to Jar Jar. Basically, he's an irrelevant character who's commanded by a incompetent slapstick character. Um, so much slapstick. I don't want to give it Jar Jar because Jar Jar actually moves the plot of the series along pretty well, um, even in his reduced capacity uh, in the later movies. But, but Captain Tarples is an accessory to Jar Jar's hijinks and stupidity. This episode is has no impact. There's no canon continuity implications because these are not canon. It is a slapstick mess of a political system that makes no sense to me. Is he the one that says ouch time? Ugh, more prequel talk. <laughs> so there are two gun-gun captains that look identical, but in the episode one script, um, they're described as two distinct individuals, and they're played by the same actor, and they're rendered the same way, but one is Captain Tarples, and one is Captain Anagram of the Word Tarples, and I don't know which one says that line. Hmm, Okay. Um, that's probably the most pathetic thing I've said on the podcast so far, <laughs> that there are two Captain Tarples in the episode one script, but there are, and I don't know which one says, ouch time. Although if I were to guess, I would guess that that's Captain Tarples, because I think the second Tarples shows up later in that battle. I'll give this a Dak. A Dak Ralter, because easily forgettable, just like Luke, barely even checks on him to see if he's still alive. 
just he could have uh, not existed at all in, in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, he said it's still cable, though. Oh, well, but you do think Luke is going to go back to check on him, but then you realize, oh, he's just grabbing his uh, his gun <laughs> and then runs off. He's checking for his uh, his uh, subway punch card because he knew that Dak was... <laughs> Tag was one sandwich away from a free from a free foot long. <laughs> He's rifling through his pockets. It's like yoink. So the next episode will be called The Pirates of Tarnunga. And we'll be seeing more of our good friend Kylo Ren. I mean Kaibo Ren and some more hijinks with the droids. C-3PO might fall over in that episode. What? He might slip on some soup. Oh, I'm willing to bet that he chastises R2 for something. Oh, something I did not bring up in my summary. There's a running gag in this episode where C-3PO is constantly accusing R2 of getting lost. Uh, I just didn't have the the patience to to put it in the summary because my eyes were bleeding. (laughs) I thought I should go to the urgent care instead of talk about the 25th joke of C-3PO. Right. Well, we'll see you next week. And thanks for putting up with another week of this, Jamie. We are almost halfway done with droids. Oh, thank the force. Thank the force. Next week is the halfway point. Um, for sure, next week is the halfway point. <laughs> because then we will have... Yep. We'll have. There's only 14 episodes and we'll be almost done with the second arc. And we'll be going into the best arc of the series, which is the Runestone arc. All right. I'm going to hold you to that. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Nub as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewok, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at noochvaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We will see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Da 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 da